Good evening, Patriots. And it is Saturday, July 2nd on the West Coast. and the East Coast, you just hit July 3rd. But this is Independence Weekend. It's a good weekend to kind of shut off a lot of the news and focus in on a couple really important things, in my opinion. One of those should be, obviously, our deep relationship and prayers for this nation with God. And the other is digging into the history and the documents of our founding fathers. Now, that said, before we begin, my pillow is typically, we talk about it almost every night, literally, about being the place for your bed and bath needs. But my pillow also has something else very special right now. If you head on over to mypillow.com forward slash bards and you scroll down a bit, you're going to find that they're offering the Omen Declaration of Independence and U.S. Constitution set. These are high definition lithographic reprints of Theodore Omen's original masterpiece, which he first printed in 1942, the Declaration of Independence, and in 1953, the U.S. Constitution. Each set includes four lithographic prints, one full-size Omen Declaration of Independence, that's 26 and three-quarters inches by 33 and a half inches, one full-size Omen U.S. Constitution, which is 26 and three-quarters inches by 33 and a half inches, and then one small size of both the Declaration and the Constitution. Those are 19 and a half by, or 19 and a quarter by 24 and a quarter inches. These are beautiful prints. They look very much like the original documents, and I very much encourage you to check them out. Now, they are regularly $99.90, and they're on sale right now for $69.93 with your promo code. It's a fantastic buy, and it's an incredible addition to your home. We've talked about this so often, and this is literally the print of that, rep, that is the original, of the original. So it, it's all of it is handwritten. It's a beautiful document to have, and in this time, we have to be so focused on our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence. So obviously, there's all sorts of other great products on MyPillow.com, but this one I wanted to highlight to you tonight. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, scroll on down, check out the Omen Declaration of Independence and U.S. Constitution set. Use your promo code Bards for the great savings. And of course, you can use that promo code on anything on that site, including the pillows, the sheets, the four-wheel drive, all-terrain, new my slippers, all that sort of cool stuff. But this one's special, especially on this weekend. So again, mypillow.com forward slash bards, promo code bards. And if you want to rather, if you would rather speak to somebody than work online, you can call a pillow counselor, a Patriot pillow counselor, in fact, at 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939. Well, this is a weekend that I think we need to be reflecting very deeply on our nation and its origins. There's a couple of things that are very important to remember. Our nation didn't just come out of some primordial soup like most of the, the progressives like to believe everything came from a primordial soup, I think. But our nation really has its roots very soundly in Scripture. And I, and I don't think we value how much that really is true. Pastors in our nation played an essential role in establishing the power of God from the very beginning. Take a listen to this. This is a really amazing quote. Over the span of the colonial era, American ministers delivered approximately 8 million sermons, each lasting one to one to one and a half hours. The average 70-year-old colonial churchgoer would have listened to some 7,000 sermons in his or her lifetime, totaling nearly 10,000 hours of concentrated listening. This is the number of classroom hours it would take to receive 10 separate undergraduate degrees in a modern university without ever repeating the same course. 10 separate undergraduate degrees is the equivalent of what our colonists, our the people that made, made America, had listened to by the time they were 70. Isn't that amazing? So the knowledge of Scripture was absolutely rooted in everything that was done. Here's another quote. The private system of education in which our forefathers were educated include included home, school, church, voluntary associations such as library companies and philosophical societies, circulating libraries, 
apprenticeships, and private study. It was a system supported primarily by private benefactors, although there was a veneer of government involvement in some colonies, such as Puritan, Massachusetts. All was done without compulsion. We were dealing with a very different world in the founding of this nation. And when you start to put this in context, we start to appreciate literally just how profound of a people they were, not just our documents, but the people were profound. And the ministers at the pulpit were, were not afraid to speak truth of what needed to be done. We have ministers, if you were, we've talked about this, and, and, and I've done a show on this before on the Black Robe Regiment, but the Black Robe Regiment has deep roots. I'm going to read a little piece here. Some parts of this is, this comes from, it's called Pastors from the Pulpit, which comes from American Pastors Network. And I want to read a little bit here just from this article. The stirring words of Ralph Waldo Emerson's Concord hymn read, By the rude bridge that arched the flood, their flag to April's breeze unfurled. Here once the embattled farmers stood and fired the shot heard round the world. Most of us are still aware that those embattled farmers won for us the freedoms we too often take for granted today. But how many of us are aware of the extent to which faith motivated those farmers to leave their families and homes and risk their lives for a cause that was most that most would have considered hopeless at the time? How many are aware of the extent to which preachers actively participated in our war of independence? And not just rhetorically from the pulpit, though the great sermons on behalf of freedom fight, fight provoked many par- par- uh, parishioners to action, how many are f- familiar with the phrase black regiment? That phrase as encapsulates the colonial American pro- possessed its war possessed in its war of independence that that is sadly lacking in our country today. The Black Regiment is a moniker that was given to the patriot preachers of colonial America. They were called the Black Regiment owing to the fact that so many of them had a propensity to wear long black robes in the pulpit. According to historian educator Reverend Wayne Sedlick, in his article, The Black Regiment Led the Fight in in Our War for Independence. It was British sympathizer Peter Oliver who actually first used the name Black Regiment. He complained that such clergymen were invariably at the heart of the revolutionary disturbances. He tied their influence to such colonial leaders as Samuel Adams, James Otis, and others of prominence in the cause. He quotes colonial leadership in its quest to gain the voice of the clergy. In one instance, he disparagingly cites a public plea of James Otis who sought to help, sought the help of the clergy in a particular manner. And this goes on in the quote. It says, Mr. Otis, understanding the foibles of human nature, advanced one shrewd position which seldom fails to promote popular commotions, that it was necessary to secure the black regiment. These were his words, and his meaning was to engage ye dissenting clergy on his side. Whether better could be, whether better could he fly for aid than to horns of the altar. This order of men, like the predecessors of 1641, have been unceasingly sounding the yell of rebellion in the ears of an ignorant and deluded people should sound fairly familiar at this point because this is the same type of elitism that we're witnessing today that's denouncing anybody that dares thinks for themselves or step out of line of the ruling elite. And the ruling elite that we're seeing today is no more than a royal class self-proclaimed by that matter. But this is how they see all of us. So if you dare speak out or you dare speak of standing up to the government, You're now admonished, you're called a radical, and worse yet, you're called a terrorist, but that's not any different than than that time. I'm going to continue this a little bit because this has some really important pieces here. So So influential were the patriot pulpits of colonial America that it was said by Prime Minister Horace Walpole in the British Parliament, Cousin America has run off with a Presbyterian person. 
In fact, America's War of Independence was often referenced in Parliament as the Presbyterian Revolt. And during the Revolutionary War, British troops often made colonial churches military targets. Churches were torched, ransacked, and pillaged. These patriot preachers were staunchly patriotic, seriously independent, steadfastly courageous. They were found in almost all of the various Protestant denominations at the time. Baptist, Presbyterian, Congregational, Anglican, Lutheran, German, Reformed. Imagine that. All these different congregations were united under the principle of freedom, patriotism, and liberty from tyranny. That is a massive shift from where we are today with the church of compliance to tyranny. So we'll continue. Their Sunday sermons, more more than Patrick Henry's oratory, Samuel Adams and James Warren's Committee of Correspondence, or Thomas Paine's Summer Soldiers and Sunshine Patriots, those were all publications, inspired, educated, and motivated the colonists to resist the tyranny of the British crown and fight for their freedom and independence. Without the Black Robe Regiment, or as they say here, the Black Regiment, there is absolutely no doubt that we would still be a crown colony, and with no Declaration of Independence, no U.S. Constitution, no Bill of Rights, and little liberty. The exploits of the Black Regiment are legendary. From George, from General George Washington, when General George Washington asked Lutheran Pastor John Peter Molenberg to raise a regiment of volunteers, Molenberg gladly agreed. Before marching off to join Washington's army, he delivered a powerful sermon from Ecclesiastes 3, 1-8 that concluded with these words, The Bible tells us there is a time for all things and there is a time to preach and a time to pray. But the time for me to preach has passed away. And there is a time to fight and that time has come now. Imagine hearing a pastors say that today. I'd say it. <laughs> you know I'd say it. But this is really the world that we're in right now, is that we are so moved away. We are literally, as I've talked about so many times, our pulpits have become a process of peace at any cost. Now, one of the things you're going to hear often is that, and I, I do hear this frequently, yes, but that's old. We're, these Teachings of the Old Testament aren't relevant anymore because we're in the New Testament. The New Testament was here then too. It wasn't like the New Testament popped in after like the 1800s or something. So these pastors and preachers were still, and ministers were moving from a pulpit with the same Bible we have today. And, and they were coming to the conclusion through Scripture that there was a time and a season and at this point, the liberty was greater, the loss of liberty was greater than anything they could, could they, than they could face, and therefore they had to participate. Molenberg's, so I'll move back here a little bit, excuse me. Uh, now is the time to fight. Call for recruits, sound the drums. Then Molenberg took off his clerical robe to reveal the uniform of a Virginia colonel. Grabbing his musket from behind the pulpit, he donned his colonel's hat, marched off to war, and as he did, more than 300 of his male congregants followed him. Molenberg's brother quotes John Peter as saying, you may say that a clergyman, you may say that as a clergyman, nothing can excuse my conduct. I am a clergyman, it is true, but I am a member of society as well as the poorest layman, and my liberty is as dear to me as any man. I am called by my country to its defense. The cause is just as noble. Where I am a bishop, I should, were I a bishop, I should obey without hesitation, and as far as I am from thinking that I am wrong, I am convinced it is my duty to do so, I, a duty I owe to my God and to my country. These are the people that helped establish who our nation was. And they understood something very principal, that this was not just a chunk of land. This was a world that they were there to steward and were given an opportunity to do so 
under God. And they preach that way. The supreme knight and great martyr of Presbyterianism was Pastor James Caldwell of the Presbyterian Church of Elizabethtown, present-day Elizabeth, New Jersey. He was called the rebel high priest and the fighting chaplain. He is most famous for the story, Give Him Watts. It is said that, in, it is said that at the Springfield engagement, when the, the militia ran out of wadding for the muskets, Parson Caldwell galloped to the Presbyterian church and returned with an armload of hymn books, threw them to the ground, and exclaimed, Now, boys, give them Watts, give them Watts, a reference to the famous hymn writer Isaac Watts. Not an easy path. Presbyterian minister James Caldwell, who gained fame during the Battle of Springfield, New Jersey, when he gathered Watts hymnals from a church for use as rifle wadding and shouted to the troops as he handed them out, put Watts into them, was killed in the war, as was his wife. Caldwell so angered British commanders that they made martyrs of both of them and his wife. General Kenneth Offson's expedition took Elizabethtown in 1780, burning Caldwell's church and shooting his wife. Later, Caldwell himself was shot. Now, I've highlighted this many times before, and it's important to realize that the colonialists were under true siege and war. We like to, this whole teaching of our education is so pathetic these days. And people like to gloss over the idea of like, oh, we had a revolution. There was a little bit of thing. George Washington troops had some wrap around their feet and they were bleeding. They had a cold winter. They didn't have much food, but then they prevailed. They came up above. Wah, rah, rah. They killed a bunch of British and it was gone. The British were ruthless. And they had the Hessians, which were mercenaries, and they were even more so. They would go into villages. They would rape the wife. They would murder the wife. They would murder the children. They would burn the house down. They did everything they could to break the spiritual morality, spiritual foundation of the, of the colonists. And it is essential that we remember this because, look, I love our British patriots. And because there are many great British patriots, which, by the way, just so I highlight this, we now have our first Bards FM, or we'll just call it Bards Base Camp, set up in Wales. The flag is literally flying in Wales as of now. We'll get it up on the website so you can see it, and I'll put it in Telegram later tonight. It's awesome. So I just want to make this point that I love the British patriots. But the British government, I despise, and I always have. And you will, hopefully, all of America will despise them once again when we realize that they have been instrumental in trying to destroy our country since they lost this war. And they have been actively engaged in trying to overthrow us through the political institutions for years. In particular, they had their hands deep in the, in the November 20th rigged election. The British crown is the cancer, one of the biggest cancers on the globe. And they are ruthless. They always were. So it's important to remember that because everyone likes to give you this crumpet with cream and tell you that it's all better now. It should not be better. We cannot forget what was done to our colonists. And I don't think they would have ever wanted us to brush it under the rug. But our education has. And it's, it's very sad. Continuing on, then there was Baptist Joab Houghton of New Jersey, Hodson was in the Hopewell Baptist Meeting House at worship when he received the first information of Concord and Lexington and of the retreat of the British to Boston with heavy losses. His great-grandson gave the following eloquent description of what, of the way he treated the tidings. Stilling the breathless messenger, he said quietly through the services, and when they were ended, he passed out and mounting to the great stone black in front of the meeting house, he beckoned to the people to stop. Men and women paused to hear, curious to know what so unusual a sequel to the service of the day could mean. At the first words of silence, stern as death, 
fell over all. The Sabbath, quiet of the hour and of the place, was deepened into a terrible solemnity. He told them all the story of the cowardly murder of Lexington by the royal troops and the heroic vengeance following hard upon it, the retreat of Percy, the gathering of the children of of the pilgrims round the beleaguered hills of Boston. Then pausing and looking over the silent throng, he said slowly, Men of New Jersey, the Redcoats are murdering our brethren of New England. Who follows me to Boston? And every man in the audience stepped out into line and answered, I! There was no, there was not a coward nor a traitor in old Hopewell Baptist Meeting House that day. Patriots, this was a different time, and it's a time we have to rekindle once again. This was a time of courage. This was a time that men and women understood the significance of each of their roles. When these men stepped into the aisle, that meant the house and the responsibilities of the home and the defense of the home fell to the mother who was taking care of the children, the farm, and all all the wells of the house. The men understood their responsibility. They had to come to to support another area. In this case, it was Boston. You see, we were not a disparaged group of people that hated each other. These colonists each had different ways of wanting to run their states. That's why we had the assembly of the republic. But they all banded together to defeat this evil. And they did seek the call, and they did do the call when it came. This continues. These were not the acts of wild-eyed fanatics. They were the acts of men of deep and abiding faith and conviction. Their understanding of the principles of both natural and revealed law was so proficient, so thorough, and so sagacious that their conscience would would let them to do nothing else Hear the wise counsel of the notable colonial preacher, Reverend Samuel West. It says, our obligation to promote the public good extends as much as to the opposing every exertion of arbitrary power that is injurious to the state as it does to the submitting to the good and wholesome laws. No man, therefore, can be a good member of community that is not as zealous to oppose tyranny as he is ready to obey magistrate. Majest, majestry, majestry. Come on, I can't even speak tonight. Magistry. Reverend West went on to say, "If magistrates are ministers of God only because the law of God and reason points out the necessity of such an institution for the good of mankind, it follows that whoever they pursue measures directly destructive." to the public good, they cease being God's ministers. They forfeit their right to the obedience from the subject. They become the pests of society, and the community is under the strongest obligation of duty both to God and to its own members to resist and oppose them, which will be so far from resisting the ordinance of God that it will be strictly obeying his commands. I find these times so profound because it was a people that was schooled and counseled appropriately within the scriptures, not scriptures that tell you, oh, don't get involved. Oh, we must not have any violence. Oh, we must have peace at any cost. These were scriptures, the same scriptures, being taught in the way that Christianity should be thriving. It was teaching temperance and grace. It was teaching love and support for one another. It was teaching the enduring of hardship. It was teaching sacrifice, but it was equally teaching the higher order of understanding of our obligations in society. That institutions of men were invariably corrupt. And because of that, it was our obligation, it was our duty, hence the word in the Declaration of Independence, to stand up to these tyrannies and to crush them because they were institutions of man that were against the laws of God. This is continues. This was the spirit of 1776. It was the preaching that built a free and independent nation. This is what colonial America had that, by and large, America does not have today. It is the thinking and preaching of the black regiment. Freedom and independence were precious gifts of God. 
not to be trampled underfoot by men. Human authority was limited and subject to proper divine parameters, and the mind of man was never to be enslaved by any master save Christ himself. Membership in the black regiment was of unofficial and without human oversight. Preachers of the black robes were young and old, loud and soft-spoken, rough and gentle, urban and rural. They differed on secondary doctrines and never surrendered their theological distinctiveness. That's unbelievable, by the way. Yet they formed an irresistible, indefatigable army that neither King George nor the demons of hell could stop. You see, that's what's so profound to me right there is they never stopped being who they were. They never let go of their theological distinctiveness. And yet they all came together on a common ground. And that common ground was there is a tyranny and it must be crushed. These were churches that by and large, they may not get along with certain preachings because they might see things slightly different, and it could be for some significant theological differences. And yet, they all shared that common view, that these institutions of men could never be in, to arise to such a place that they were controlling people in the way they think, that that was tyranny, and that only Christ Jesus himself could take a mastery over human beings. Boy, have we changed. And it is such a profound change because it once again establishes where most of the root of this insurgency has been successful. It's been successful because our churches have become deeply corrupted, not just corrupted in the, in the sense of the money, though that is one of the powerful narcotics that's got us there, but it's corrupted in the very teachings, in the very way that, that theology is presented to the public. They aren't teaching to be active members in the community, to be vibrant and vocal members. In fact, if you're vibrant and vocal, I think most can agree that in most churches, you're kind of like, ooh, calm down there, young man. Comply yourself. You must have proper decorum in this environment. You must be calm. That was not the way these pastors were. These were firebrands in every fashion, whether they were vocal or soft-spoken, they were firebrands because they understood very well that on the frontier, in the area that they were, this land that they had been given, this colony in which they were working with, this community under which they were working within, that was theirs to steward for God. And they had a responsibility to that community, but greater, they had a responsibility to God himself. And they understood that God was on the throne then. And the government was not to be above God. And more importantly, as they developed this sense of, of the importance of men living free, this is where the whole concept starts to come to life. And they're living it every day, that the worship to God is part of everything that they do. And underneath society's men's choice is government. Government is at the bottom, not at the top. These were pastors, preachers, ministers that spoke out boldly against the king. And it was for that reason, when we hear about Caldwell, why, why they turned him into a martyr. Can you imagine troops marching into a, into a person's home as they did? Think about this today. And I'm going to tell you to think about this today because I don't know where we're going in this society. But what I do know is what they're attempting to do is shape agencies of the federal government to act as the British troops and act as the Haitians did. They're purging the independent thinkers. They're purging those that will be able to stand with the people first. They want obedience, pure obedience to them. This fight is no different than it was in 1776. We're right back where we were, and it's the same thing. Sure, the technologies are a little bit different. Sure, the communication systems are a little bit different. But that's just mechanics. The fight has always been and always will be. Those that stand boldly with God, that understand in that path of God, only Christ Jesus is over us. There is no man that stands above us. And when they get to the point where they must, instead of administering the affairs of the people, they become the dictators of the affairs of the people, that is when they must be overthrown. 
And that's scripturally grounded because it's our duty, it's our right. This war had a long lead up. And it's another perspective that we often forget because we focus very much on that time of 1775, the Battle of Lexington and Concord, when it all came to a head. But we don't do a good job of remembering how long a lead time this was. The French and Indian War was a significant part of our early history, which we hardly even pay attention to anymore. It was from 1754 to 1763. And what happened after the French-Indian War was that the British were deeply in debt. And they had to raise money, and they had to have other things involved, which they were administering from afar. So one of the things that happened following the war, the American Indian War, the French Indian War, which is when the British and the colonists were fighting the French, who were in, part, were in league with or were in partnership with the Indians. And that was really, a, once again, this is a, a global strategic war of the Empire of England fighting or Empire of the United Kingdom, the crown, fighting the Empire of France, playing out on the ground to use the lives of those underneath their rule to extol their differences while the royalty sat on their butt and brought in the benefits of the despicable acts of war. Nothing has changed. It's the same thing now. Proxy wars, essentially. Use the people to fight the wars of the elites so that the people remain forever scarred and divided So at the end of the French and Indian War, there was a proclamation put in place of, called the Proclamation of 1763. King George II passed the law, and this created a major rift between King George and the colonists, colonialists. What had happened is that at the end of the war, there was this land that had become open, and the colonists wanted to expand and occupy it. Now, I'm not going to get into the moral issue here of Indians, Native Americans versus the colonists. The colonists had sacrificed lives. They felt it was their right to move into the land. The king drew a line, which was bordering the Appalachian Mountains, and gave the Indians the land to the west and told the colonists that they could not in any way move out there. That was not their land to move into. However, and this is where the, this thing boils over, is that then they are taxed for the war effort because England is now needing to have taxes. And the colonists get very upset about this because not only have they sacrificed lives, they're now being taxed, and they're told that they can't even excise their rights to move into some of that land that they, have, they felt they were rightfully won. Now, the sad part about all of this is this was all done in such a way to infuse division and hate. And that line is very much the same method that the, if you study the UK foreign policy, they do this all the, line, all the time. They will incite wars. This is how they rule the world and how, how they have ruled the world for centuries. They'll incite wars, and then they'll draw an arbitrary line to divide off people, which then infuses more anger and hate, but not towards the crown. It infuses hate and anger between the indigenous peoples. And that's literally what is happening here. But the money isn't being raised that they need and the crown is in debt. So the crown in a desperate act passes the stamp act of 1765. And that stamp act now puts a tax on pretty much all paper products. And the colonists are now just livid. They're like, okay, I'm, they're getting enough of the British thing, a British rule. They're having to pay more and more taxes in their eyes, England had promised to defend them. The war that they had fought was right was righteous in their own sense, but at the same time, it was also a war between France and England. They were very cognizant of that. So they were paying for something that was not really theirs to worry about, and yet they were being taxed heavily for it. And then in 1765, Parliament passes the Quartering Act, the law ordered the colonists to house, feed, and supply the soldiers of Great Britain in order that they would continue their protection. So basically it was blackmail. But here's what you're also seeing here is the crown was desperate for money. 
So all of these acts are being done to offset the costs and to put more money into the crown purse by forcing the colonists to house and quarter, give quarter, give food and supplies to the soldiers, including feed for their horses. They were taking the burden off of that expenditure off of the crown's ledgers and putting it onto the people of, of, of the colonies of America. Once again, trying to put more money into the purse. And then in, on March 5th of 1750, or 1770, excuse me, they have dispatched troops to Boston because people are upset. They want to ensure that there's a quelling of issues. And on March 5th, a couple of teenage boys stumble onto the street late at night only to find a lone soldier guarding the House of Customs in Boston. They hurl insults that soon become swears as more and more onlookers join the commotion. They start throwing snow, then ice, then soon they're throwing rocks and oyster shells. Eight more guards show up to defend the comrade. Finally, the last straw is when a rock hits one of the soldiers, knocking them down. As they fell down, his gun shot, making others shoot, killing three then soon killing two more with from the wounds. So five colonists are killed, and it becomes an explosive event. So this is the lead-up to the time of the Declaration of Independence. And it's taken now, by the time we get to the writing of the Declaration of Independence, and we get to the signing of the Declaration of Independence. So June 1776 to, obviously, July 1776, when it's finally confirmed. We've had a long lead-up, including the Battle of Lexington and Concord, which was in 1775. All of this rooting back to the French and Indian War, and actually, if you take it further back, you're going to find that it goes back to the Pilgrims in the early colonial, early colonial settlements. But the French and Indian War, basically from that period, 1774, all the way up to 1776, that's 22 years of buildup before it finally blows over and they decide that the only way forward is to declare independence from Mother England. So I want to read, I have read... And we'll read here the first two paragraphs, which I think are important. But I also want to finish tonight as we, to read the last two paragraphs, which are very important in the Declaration of Independence. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the, unman, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the laws of God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the cause which impelled them to separation. Keep in mind that that whole introductory paragraph is contextualized by what we just talked about. All this lead up. This isn't just a random decision to, dec to declare independence. This goes to the pulpit, this goes to the, the witnessing of tyranny within the country. This goes completely to the whole life that the colonists were facing, including the massacre in, in Boston and the massacre in Lexington and Concord. When the British came in to take and confiscate the guns, sound familiar, to confiscate the guns, and it was the Minutemen that stood up and and countered the British. They got into a skirmish, and then as the British retreated, they were ambushed by a second wave and they suffered massive losses. So we've, we were then at that point at 1775 into a fight. So I'll continue with the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundations on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be charged or changed, excuse me, for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evices a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and provide new guards for the future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of the colonists, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their form, former systems of government. And then they go on to list all of the injuries and usurpations that have happened to detail out, as they have said in the beginning, to declare their causes which impel them to separation. So this was very much a civil matter which they were laying out. And then it concludes, in every stage of these oppressions we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms, our repeated petitions have been answered only to be repeated only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of free people. Nor have we been wanting in attentions of our British brethren. Now that's important here because they were speaking also to the people. And listen to these words. We have warned them from time to time of attempts of their legislature to extend an unwarrantable jurisdiction over us. We have reminded them of the circumstances of our immigration and settlement here. We have appealed to their native justice and magnanimity, and we have conjured them by the ties of our common kindred to disavow these usurpations, which would inevitably interrupt our connections and correspondence. They too have been deaf to the voice of justice and consanguinity. We must therefore acquiesce to the necessity which denounces our separation and hold them as we hold the rest of mankind, enemies in war, in peace, friends. We therefore, we therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled appealing to the Supreme Judge of the world for the recititude and of our intentions due in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, and they are absolved from the all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as, as free and independent states they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and to do all other acts and things which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of the divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And then there is the below signed. There's a few points I want to just hit here as we finish tonight. It's a very important point consideration here that they had made pleas to the British people. It sounds very familiar today because you're hearing that people were more allegianced to the crown than listening to the rationale and logic and truth of the colonists. Just like today, so many people are more aligned with what the government and the media says than wanting to listen to the people. You also have heard in these in this petition that there has been a slow and steady process of showing and exposing and enduring 
and that they have essentially, to get to this point, exhausted every avenue possible to come to a legal resolve to stay within the control of the crown. Very much like we are in right now. That over the years, and it's particular over the last two years, we have made reasonable petition to the states and to our local governance to stop with some of its oppressive measures, mask mandates, injections, forcing CRT, QT, and other methods of teaching on our children to indoctrinate them. And now one of the last great efforts here is to make awareness to still continue to try to reset 2020, to repeal that decision and put this back to a vote for the election 2020, to reset the election system. And again, every time we move forward, they attack with something else, be it a new virus, be it restricting and doing everything they can to cause gas costs to, to soar, doing an engineered work with corporations to create food shortages. They're punishing the people every time they move forward. They are acting and emulating exactly as the crown did. On this 4th of July weekend, heading into the 4th on Monday, I think it's important that every American reflect on the similarities of where they, we were as a nation at, prior to the signing of the Declaration of Independence and where we are today. In my opinion, we're coming up on a 4th in which the only thing missing is a new Declaration of Independence. Because our government has proven that it is not a government of the people. It's a government of tyranny. It is a government that seeks not to support us, but to suppress us. It doesn't function by the virtue of how the Declaration of Independence was laid out. Because the governments are subordinate to the people. And the people, all people, are subordinate to God. This nation, in its most unique way, was one of the most amazing experiments in governance ever to be created in our known history, established God on the throne above all things and essentially positioned that all people would worship and praise God, as we discussed last night, to continue that understanding that we our relationship was always to God, thanking him, praising him, and seeking his guidance in the protection and safety of this nation trusting in him before we did anything else. We have become a nation now with a large following of people, at least large enough, that look to government first as their answers, or worse, look to candidates, look to other sources, and they don't look to God at all for the guidance of this nation. This nation had 3% of its people ultimately lead it to safety, to lead it to freedom and liberty. It only takes 3%. It only takes 300. We are in a very critical time that nobody thought we would be at, truly, if we searched our hearts, but we are here. And I dare say that the colonists didn't expect to have to go to war. But it came and it found them. And they didn't shy away from it either. The men and the women stood up boldly and faced it. They were led by bold pastors. It led them in the word of God. They understood that there was a righteous fight before them. It wasn't a fight of vengeance. It wasn't a fight of anger. It wasn't even a fight to try to right the wrongs because they understood that was God's role. But what it was, it was a line they could not cross. It was a line that they understood that no matter what they did, ultimately, if they did not stand up, they would be rolled over and they would become somebody's doormat or slave. And they understood that there was no way that that would happen in their watch. So as we look back over this past week, actually the last 10 days, and we look at what has, at what has passed here in the Supreme Court decisions, which I credit 100% to God Almighty, reflect on these things as you reflect on the stories and of this time leading up to the Declaration of Independence. God affirmed 
God gave the blessing that the Supreme Court affirmed the Second Amendment right, which was the right to defend ourselves and the right to conceal carry. In other words, the government has no right to prevent us from carrying a weapon to protect ourselves. Very important. Then the destruction of Roe versus Wade, which reestablishes the functioning of the nation, which is state by state, colony by colony, if you will. But most importantly, took away the omen of death that's been laying over this nation and reaffirmed life above all things across this nation. And we also had the ruling on prayer, which is to once again allow prayer into schools, allowing the coach to pray on the sideline. Very important. And then we have the ruling on the F or the EPA, which basically dismantles the government's overreach of trying to use agencies with policy and rules and declarations that were beyond the limits of the laws Congress passed to punish people. Again, this fight of today is no different than the fight that we faced at the beginning of this country. And our oppressor is the same. At that point, the oppressor was a remote government based in England. Today, this oppressor is a remote government hinged out of Washington, D.C., run by international bankers connected to the Bank of London and of England again. So, patriots, it's a weekend to spend in prayer, a weekend to reflect deeply on the state of where we have to go. But things are moving quickly. And I would encourage you to take time to read the Declaration of Independence. And if you are so inclined, you can go to the bardsfm.com website and see the revised Declaration of Independence that I put up there, which includes more current issues when we get into the detailings of the repeated injuries and usurpations, which I've simply modernized. But it's time that we get our head into this game the way our colonists did. To understand sitting on the sideline and just doing memes doesn't get things done. That there comes a point in time that you have to have literally boots on the ground. There comes an understanding that to be strong, you have to at least have the willfulness in the heart to stand up, not just with the sword of the spirit, but with the sword of steel. And while I do not advocate in any way the escalation to violence. We are not in, ever been given the task by God to have violence put upon us by a government. That's where the line gets drawn. And they have been waging violence on us with a needle and with indoctrination and propaganda and worse yet, mandates that ultimately leave our children subject to the knife of surgery for gender changes and other things. This is a very real war. And they will try to use their propaganda to suggest that anybody that stands up is violent when in fact they are the violent source of all of this. And they made the first shot. They have literally waged war with a needle, with propaganda, to try to force us to submit They've used the back doors of corruption and manipulation and the corrupted hearts of men to destroy the pulpit. And where we sit today is the need to have people stand boldly and to reclaim that righteousness within God to know that this nation will once again rise. But it will only rise when we understand that God is on the throne and that everything that we do pivots from him, our prayers to him, and we must humble ourselves before him in order to reset the way forward to win. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight on a weekend reflecting deeply on the origins of our nation and on the state of affairs today. And Father, what we our eyes opened to is that our nation began on the right premise of understanding that we had an obligation of stewardship to this land, a stewardship that you gave us and a stewardship that was accountable to you. That we had an obligation to walk under your laws and to be a bite 
be abiding by your laws, not be abiding to the petty laws and enslavement imposed by governments of men. Father, forgive us for being compliant to such things and not being born more bold. And we pray tonight that there will be a humbling across this nation over the coming days, a humbling of hearts to come before you, to seek repentance for them ourselves, to seek repentance for a nation, and to pray for mercy for our nation. And we also pray for strength of the warriors, Father. A time now that the warriors of the remnant must stand. They must be powerful in this time. They must be vocal in this time. They must be heard in this time. So, Father, we are literally as we were then of 1775 and 1776. We are now equally at the time of our own history and on the edge of the histories of even the book of Esther where we're reminded on the eve, if we do not follow through with our commitment to you, that there is much at stake and that we must be bold and strong in such a time as this. So, Father, we just pray for the deep and strength that can come to the hearts of the many, to seek that strength through you, to seek that depth and intimacy through you in prayer, in worship, and to be resolved in their hearts that there is a time that shall that may come that we must stand both with the sword of the spirit and with the sword of steel strapped on our hip. Let us be clear in our paths ahead. Much is at stake, and we know that with you and you through us, victory is imminent. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So, Patriots, I hope you have a very blessed night. Tomorrow night, we'll dig in more into the book of Esther. And we'll talk a bit about the position of where we are now as a nation. And those very important moments before the storm crashes in. We've been given big gifts the last two weeks from God. What I personally refer to as the memorial stones symbolic of what Joshua gave to his soldiers. They were gifts to God, to us, to remind us of the power that we have, the rights that we have, and the reestablishment of life in our nation. All of these were given to us in our Declaration of Independence and Constitution that we have seen being pulled away from us as we've drifted away from God. The two are interrelated. So the two must be fought for in parallel and in unison. We will reclaim this nation, and it will require those that have been strong and steadfast from the very beginning to do so. In the last two years, we've seen many people buckle and bow. But now is the time for those that have stood strong, who have had to endure the hardships, to really appreciate where we are at this point in time. It is that voice, those voices that will lead the nation back. And as Many will not want to acknowledge it, and some will be slow to awaken. It is nonetheless those that have endured the hardships that will understand the true cause and direction of what this nation was built on and what our direction ahead must be. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. Keep your prayers up. Lots of prayers for this nation and lots of prayers for the strength of the warrior class. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. Walk boldly and fearlessly with, fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow night for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Have a wonderful Independence Weekend and out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through, fight for all we had to lose. Reaching out for something to pull us up to the level ground.